BNH is replacing subpar or fake batteries. Technical service advisory for users of the Nikon Z6 and Z7. A new travel tripod made by Peak Design in an airport that works with their local plane spotting community. All of this on episode 21 of the Liam Photography Podcast. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 21. Some B&H customers who had recently purchased a Nikon EN-EL15B battery received an unusual email. The retail giant says it sold a subpar batch of batteries or possibly counterfeit batteries and would be replacing all of this model of battery sold within a specific time frame. Nikon Rumors first reported on the email sent out posting a screenshot of it, which read in part, It has come to our attention that we unfortunately received a subpar batch of Nikon EN-EL15B rechargeable lithium-ion batteries. Since it is impossible for us to ascertain which of our customers received from the affected batch, We will be replacing all of these batteries sent to our customers regardless of which battery they might have received. With regard to the battery you have received, please discontinue use and take the battery to the nearest recycling program. A resource will help you find a location near you. And they included the link. The battery should not be thrown in general trash, and please do not attempt to ship the batteries back to us as it is potentially dangerous to do so. BNH says the replacement batteries will be sent out for free to affected customers within the next day or two. So it looks like um, not only do sometimes us small consumers uh, buying from places like Amazon gets burned with counterfeit batteries or memory cards, but it looks like even on occasion a big company like BNH can get caught up in the counterfeit battery market as well. The Nikon EN-EL15B batteries cost around $60 to $70 and are compatible with a number of the company's DSLR and mirrorless cameras, including the Z6 and 7, the D850, the D500, and the D7500. As BNH notes in the email, genuine Nikon EN-EL15B batteries were sold alongside the counterfeit, so if you did receive a real one from your purchase, your replacement will score you a second real battery for free. Nikon has issued notices about the counterfeit products over the years, warning of everything from fake accessories to fake DSLR cameras. So, I mean, this is getting to be pretty prevalent. And a lot of these retailers, you know, they do their best to try to eliminate the possibility of their customers being affected by counterfeit products. And you can't really knock them because some of the counterfeits are really, really good. I mean, they do a good job of looking like the real McCoy, if you will. And I do remember from a while back when there was an issue with counterfeit SanDisk SD cards being sold on Amazon. 
that the only real way you could tell the counterfeits from the real thing were that the counterfeits all had a little yellow plastic lock slider on the side of them where the genuine SanDisk ones, they were always a light gray in color. But, you know, your average consumer, especially if they're just getting into photography, they might not realize that that slide lock was supposed to be gray and not yellow. And a lot of people didn't know that. I knew about it because of the fact that I've worked in IT for a long time, as well as photography for a long time. Uh, luckily, I never ended up with any of, the, any of those counterfeit SD cards. And I can say that Amazon's done a pretty good job of, of getting most of the counterfeits off their platform. So I do have to commend them for that. And uh, I do feel bad for B&H that they got schnookered by a batch of counterfeit batteries. And the thing is, a lot of these, most all of these counterfeit products, to be honest, are made and manufactured in China. And the Chinese have been notorious, as I've mentioned before in other podcast episodes, they've been notorious for not honoring the patents or copyrights or trademarks of other nations. So they basically let companies in their country just blatantly rip off and counterfeit products all the time. Uh, anything from SD cards to camera batteries to full-on, you know, Chinese knockoff replicas of Rolls-Royce cars, if you can believe it. But uh, it's definitely sad to see that B&H got burned by this. And, you know, and I also feel bad not only for B&H, but I feel bad for the Nikon customers. You know, and it's not E&H's fault, really, that their customers got schnookered. You know, it was completely by accident. B&H didn't know until after they had already shipped out a bunch of these batteries that they had gotten a counterfeit batch. And, of course, by then it was too late to go back. It's pretty much impossible to go back and track through, you know, which cost customers got a legitimate battery and which customers didn't. So the only way B&H can get around this or remedy this problem is to just replace all of those model batteries to all of their customers that bought within a specific you know, time frame, within a specific window of 30 days or 60 days or whatever the case may be. And that's going to be determined probably by how quickly they turn over a batch of batteries. You know, so in other words, if they get in, you know, they order those batteries, you know, 10,000 at a time or 5,000 at a time, wherever the case may be. And they know that, you know, in a 30 or 60 day period, they go through the entire 5,000 count batch, then they have to order another, you know, batch of 5,000, then it gives them a pretty good idea of at least the time frame, you know, what two months, you know, any of the orders for the, that battery came in over a two month period, you know, then they have a reasonably good idea of which customers were affected. But it's just really sad to see, you know, even a large company like this get schnookered by counterfeit products, um, especially photography products. It's, it's just Really disappointing, and I'm glad that B&H is really stepping up and looking out for their customers. B&H has always been a fantastic company. I've bought a lot of merchandise from them, and they are super reputable. They're a really great bunch of people that work there, and they have a really great photography podcast that I enjoy listening to as well. So it's great that they're looking out for their customers. I want to say kudos to them for being proactive on this and not waiting until they received a bunch of complaints from their customers, you know, um, you know, or complaints about batteries exploding or something like that, which of course, you know, a company like B&H isn't going to allow that something like that to happen. B&H, you know, they have 
mechanisms in place on their side to try to mitigate any kind of issues like that, you know, customers getting big products. So it's just really great to see that they caught it as quickly as possible and they reached out to all of their customers that had ordered that particular model battery and uh, made them aware of the potential issue and said, hey, look, we're going to make it right. We're going to send you a replacement battery free of charge. And that's really great. And it's really great that they're looking out for their customers because, I mean, they're a company that their reputation is everything. And I can understand that, especially in the photography world. They've been around for a long time. And just like Canon, you know, their reputation is everything to them. And they don't want it to be sullied over a bad batch of batteries. So I say kudos to them for looking out for their customers and taking excellent care of them like they always do. Anytime you need to buy something uh, photography related or even electronics, uh, I recommend checking out B&H. Uh, they're not a sponsor of the podcast, so I don't want you to think they are. I'm just somebody who's been a customer of theirs for a few years now, and I, I've always had a good business relationship with them You know, on the products that I've bought off their website, whether they're photography products or other electronic products. They've just been uh, a standout company. So I Definitely recommend that you check them out if you haven't already. All right, the next item I wanted to talk about on this episode is a Nikon technical service advisory for users of the Nikon Z6 and Z7 cameras. And I'm getting this right from Nikon Imaging USA website, the Nikon USA website. Uh, let's see here, the issue, while Nikon is taking great measures to ensure the high quality expected of Nikon products, it has come to our attention that the vibration reduction or VR feature and some of the Nikon Z6 and Z7 cameras may not function fully. We sincerely apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused. The solution, Nikon has resolved this by making available corrective service for affected Z6 and Z7 cameras free of charge, including the cost of shipping the affected Z6 and Z7 cameras to Nikon, as well as its return back to the customer. Even if your Z6 or Z7 camera warranty has already expired, which I'm not sure how that would have happened because... If I remember correctly, Nikon's warranty on their camera bodies is usually a year. And being the Z6 and Z7 just came out in September, I don't know how anybody would already be out of the warranty uh, period for it. But I'm sure their lawyers probably had them put it in there just to cover their butts. <laughs> I, that's the one thing I can assume. Um, there is a way to identify the affected products and to request service to determine whether your camera is one of those affected Please click on the appropriate link, check serial number button below, and enter the serial number of your Z6 or Z7 camera as indicated. And there's a separate link for each body type. And I'll put the link to this web, this uh, subsection of Canon USA's website in the show notes for this episode. And if your camera is one of the affected models, instructions for requesting service, including receiving your free shipping label, will be displayed on screen. You may also contact Nikon Customer Relations by visiting NikonUSA.com support for assistance. If your Z6 or Z7 camera is not one of these those affected, this will be displayed on screen and you can continue using your camera without cause for concern of this issue. And that goes on to explain how to find your camera serial number, um, 
which is on the camera's monitor on the back of the camera, and the serial number will be the seven-digit number printed on the label affixed to the camera body as indicated by the red frame in the image above. Um, so like I said, I'll go ahead and, and put the link to this page in the show notes for this episode. And I know um, this isn't the first time that Nikon has had a service issue with one of their cameras. I know if I remember correctly, there was a total of, I think, three different recalls on the D750. Um, and I can't remember if they were all for the same issue or if they were for a variety of issues, but I do remember um, hearing from some of my photography, photography friends that shoot Nikon that the D750, I believe it was, had ended up having two or three recalls. So it looks like um, Nikon is struggling with some quality control issues in their camera division. I don't know, uh, but it definitely doesn't sound good. I don't personally know of Canon or Sony or Fuji or any of the other companies having two or three recalls for the same camera body, but I could be wrong. And then again, I'm not trying to bash Nikon. I just thought it was awful weird. Uh, it's great that they're looking out for their customers, just like B&H was with the counterfeit Nikon batteries. But um, like I said, hopefully this will be the only recall issue for the Z6 and Z7. I know they've been fairly popular cameras and a pretty good overall uh, first attempt at uh, mirrorless full frame for Nikon. And so hopefully uh, things will continue to look up for them moving forward and that they'll... Uh, continue developing their mirrorless full frame full frame line like uh, Canon and Sony and some of the others. And we will continue to benefit as consumers of their mirrorless full frame bodies. So that is it for that segment. Now the next segment I wanted to talk about is pretty exciting. And I don't know how many of my listeners are familiar with them or not. Uh, depends on how much shopping you do for photography-related accessories. But Peak Design has been around for quite a while now. I did some blog articles about some of their products in the past on my blog portion of my website, my leophotography.net website. But uh, they've made straps. Uh, they've made carrying bags, messenger bags, backpacks. Um, hand straps for your camera, I think neck straps as well, um, as well as some interesting um, camera mounting hardware um, clips that you could put like on the shoulder straps of your backpack where you could lock your camera into a special plate that attached to your backpack's shoulder strap and you could hang your camera from that special plate and have it you know, readily, handily available, especially if you're using a backpack that's not necessarily a photography backpack. Let's say you're somebody that's a very outdoors type person. You like to go hiking and camping and stuff like that, but you're also into photography. You could be out on a weekend hike and camp out, you know, somewhere in the mountains or whatever. And, you know, you're carrying your standard outdoor type backpack, you know, that has all your gear in it, your bedroll and all of that good stuff but you want to take your camera to snap pictures of any interesting wildlife that you find on the way or while you're out there in the wilderness for the weekend. And Peak Design has made some really cool mounting systems that'll go on a regular backpack shoulder strap and allow you to safely and securely anchor your camera body there 
So it's at the ready when you do spot something interesting that you want to shoot. Well, now Peak Design has decided to get into the tripod arena as well. So they're calling it the Travel Tripod, and it is a full-feature tripod in a truly portable form. And what looks interesting about this tripod that they're, and this is up on Kickstarter right now, they're, they were raising backing for it on Kickstarter. Uh, they were hoping to get a pledge of $500,000 as their goal, and they've already hit $3.6 million uh, from 8,180 8, backers. Um, with 56 days to go on their Kickstarter campaign. Peak Design has been extremely successful on Kickstarter, and they make some really, really awesome, high-quality uh, photography-related gear. And I definitely recommend them to any photographers that are looking for something, uh, whether, like I said, it's a hand strap for your camera, so when you're out doing street photography in a city like Atlanta or New York, you don't have to worry about somebody running up and snatching your camera and taking off with it. Uh, when I did photog uh, street photography on a regular basis, when I worked in downtown Atlanta, I always had the camera that I used, that I took to work with me, I always had a hand strap on it. So that way, I was not only holding the camera in my hand, but it was actually strapped to the wrist. So if somebody ran up and tried to snatch the camera and run off with it, they weren't getting too far because the camera would stay attached to my arm. And uh, so I didn't have to worry about that. But... Like I said, Peak Design has been making fantastic products for a long time, and this tri travel tripod of theirs looks very, very compelling. It has quick attaching, an intuitive compact ball head, has a single ring for total head adjustment. It has a deployable center column knob. It's optimized for full-frame DSLRs and telephoto lenses. It includes a stowable phone mount and soft case. And the architecture, I definitely agree with them, is groundbreaking, um, and it eliminates a lot of wasted space in tripods. Basically, the way this tripod works, so a standard travel tripod, usually when they're completely collapsed, you actually have basically like four cylinders. You have the cylinders, three cylinders that represent the individual legs, and then you have the center column cylinder. Well, with peak design with their travel tripod they've actually designed it you know and when the, a standard travel tripod when it's folded up when it's collapsed all the way you still have a fairly large triangular shaped package and the way peak has designed theirs when their tripod is fully collapsed you end up with a more round profile of their travel tripod and they say it's basically the size of a water bottle when it's completely folded up, which is pretty impressive. And it says they spent four years designing the tri redesigning the tripod from the ground up to eliminate as much dead space as possible and minimize pack down size. Now, the one thing that does worry me a little bit, and I'm not saying this because Peak doesn't make quality products. They do, absolutely. But the one thing that worries me looking at the images of this tripod is when it's fully deployed. The legs have five sections to them altogether. So by time you get down to the very bottom of the tripod, that section of each leg is fairly skinny. And I'm just worried about how strong they're going to be 
when they're fully extended like that. That's one of the things that does worry me. Now, like I said, Peak Design makes fantastic gear. They make very high quality products. So I'm assuming it's going to be okay. But for me personally, in the past, I've always stayed away from these kind of tripods because I never felt that they were strong enough, that they would be secure enough to be holding, you know, several thousand dollars in heavy camera gear on um, with the legs that skinny at the very bottom, you know, when you have them fully extended. If you have all of the sections extended out at one time and the ones that are actually making contact with the ground are the smallest and skinniest in diameter, just makes me a little bit nervous. So I'm not sure how crazy I would be about using one of these tripods. I mean, it does look great. And it'd be great if it if it's very sturdy, which I'm assuming it will be, uh, again, because it's peak design. Uh, but I'm not sure if it'd be the kind of tripod I would want to carry. Now, it is cool that they made the they made this tripod so that the whole thing can be deployed and then packed down again really rapidly. Uh, they say nearly twice as fast as a traditional tripod. And one of the things that is really cool about it is the the latch mechanisms for extending the legs. The unique way that they shape the latch mechanisms, you can actually unlock all five sections with a single movement. So if you're gonna you know, extend it out to its maximum height, you can more quickly deploy it because you can flip all of those latches with one move and extend it all out and then flip them all locked again with one move. So that, that part is pretty cool. And I do like the fact that it comes with a type of ball head um, as part of the tripod itself. I'm sure it's removable. Uh, most tripods, you know, the heads are and replaceable. You can swap them out. You can go with a ball head or you can change it out to a pan and tilt head or, you know, any of a number of different styles of heads. And I do think it's cool that it also comes with the universal phone mount. Uh, and the universal phone mount actually stows within the center column. So you can actually extend the very center of the center column upward, where normally the center column you know, um, is how you extend the head area of the tripod to get a little more height, um, where the way this one's designed, you not only have that, but then in the center of the center column, it actually has a subsystem that can pop up past the head, and that actually acts as a phone mount. So you could use your, uh, you could use the tripod with your iPhone or Android phone to do panoramas quickly and easily. So that's pretty cool as well. And their whole mantra is pro performance at half the size. And like I said, it does look really impressive. It looks like it's going to be another really popular product of theirs that everybody in the photo photography community, especially the pros, are going to really embrace. And they're going to offer it in both aluminum as well as carbon fiber. So you will be able to order one from the Kickstarter campaign page. You can make a small donation and not get anything, or you can make more substantial um, donation or pledges, I guess you could say, to the project. For a pledge of $289 or more, you get the aluminum travel tripod, which is going to retail for $349.95, so you're getting $61 off. 
and it includes the legs, the ball head, the quick release plate, mobile mount, load hook, hex key, and protective case. And they'll ship it anywhere in the world. Estimated delivery is December of 2019. So the whole uh, goal with this project is to get these into production in time to ship them out for the 2019 holiday season. And it also says below that, if you make a pledge of 479 or more, you can get the carbon fiber model at $121 off its retail price, which will be $600 um, when it, once it becomes available on the market. Um, and again, ships December 2019 to anywhere in the world. And so they're going to offer it in two different versions, the aluminum and the carbon fiber, which is really cool. Some people prefer aluminum. I kind of prefer carbon fiber um, due to some injuries I've sustained in the last few years. I like to have my tripod be as light as possible, so that's why I prefer carbon fiber. And because carbon fiber is extremely strong and resilient, um, it's not cheap, but it's strong and resilient. And so, I, I mean, I do have tripods that are aluminum. I only have one carbon fiber one, but I, and then I do have a couple of aluminum ones. But primarily, I use my carbon fiber one these days just because of the fact that it's considerably lighter in comparison to my aluminum one. But this is definitely exciting, and it looks like it's going to be a really cool new entry into the world of photography tripods, as if it isn't already a crowded field. But with the reputation that Peak Design has and their reputation, especially for quality products, I can definitely see this being a big threat to the rest of the tripod manufacturers on the market. So we'll have to wait and see how this uh, fleshes out, but it's definitely some exciting news. And I definitely recommend that you at least stop by the, the Kickstarter page and, and check out the images and also watch their project videos that they have. Um, it is designed to go uh, super low as well for shooting flowers and stuff like that if you're into macro photography. And the legs do fold out to where it'll pretty much lay flat the light's completely flat, so your camera is only a few inches off the ground, uh, which most of your good tripods uh, these days have that capability. So uh, definitely something for the macro photographers to get excited about. And like I said, uh, I will go ahead and put the link to the Kickstarter page in the show notes for this episode so that you can stop by and, and check out the, the article itself on Kickstarter, see the images, as well as see the demonstration videos. Uh, certainly looks like it's going to be a fantastic product for all the photographers out there. The last thing I wanted to talk about before I wrap up this episode is an article I found on Petapixel about an airport that has made lives easier for photographers that like to do plane spotting. This airport has actually made sections of its fencing that are specifically designed for photographers that like to photograph airplanes as they're coming and going. And there's a fairly large community of plane spotting photographers around the world uh, who like to camp outside airports to photograph the planes and, and get photographs of the runways and the tarmacs and all that good stuff. And now a major airport in Canada has decided to serve its local photographers by creating dedicated holes in its fence for the camera lenses to poke through. 
the Jean Lesage International Airport of Quebec, Canada's 11th busiest airport, announced last week that it has partnered with the Quebec-based plane spotting community YQB Aviation to install special panels around the perimeter of the airport to provide photographers with a variety of views of the runways and the tarmac. A notice on each of the panels states that it is an area reserved for photographers only. And if you'd like to visit the airport, there's a map showing where the 10 photography holes can be found um, on the Petapixel article. And the airport says, happy plane spotting. It'll be interesting to see if this idea takes off and is picked up by other major airports around the world. Although I don't know if it's something that would happen in the U.S. because I know TSA and airport security has been really, really, really heavy since, you know, the 9-11 attacks in 2001. So I doubt we'll see anything like this around American airports anytime soon. But who knows? Maybe maybe they'll... uh, let photographers have dedicated spots to photograph the planes, but uh, I doubt it. But it would be interesting to see if maybe some of the other um, airports around the world and other countries like Spain or Greece or the UK or Japan or someplace like that might follow the lead, uh, follow the lead of this Quebec airport and make it a little bit easier for shutterbugs to get photographs of the planes as they're coming and going. Um, I like photographing planes from time to time myself. My girlfriend Janice and I have actually stopped along the interstate outside of Atlanta here, uh, I-85, where it runs north and south. We've actually parked along the uh, interstate with our cameras and photographed the planes as they're going in and out of Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. And it can be pretty cool. And you can get some really awesome shots, especially, you know, if you're parked in the right spot where the planes that are coming in for a landing or passing directly overhead. You know, you're pretty much in a straight line with the runway they're headed to um, as you're sitting along the interstate. We've been lucky enough that any of the times we've done it, we haven't been hassled by any of the police, um, which is a good thing. (laughs) I don't know uh, if they'd be really happy with us doing that. It's not like we're causing a road hazard. We always stop along an area of I-85 where there's a really, really wide paved shoulder that you can pull way off of the interstate and be totally out of the way of traffic. So you're not impeding, you know, the flow of the traffic to and from Atlanta. And we've done that. We actually stayed out there one day for a good hour, I think it was, and took uh, photos of the planes as they were coming and going. And we didn't get hassled by any of the highway patrol or anything like that. So... Um, I honestly don't know if any any police officers drove by while we were out there doing that or not. Um, but I would imagine probably one or two did because it's a heavily traveled road. But, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know if it's something they would be cool with or not, but it is definitely a lot of fun to get the unique perspective uh, of a plane as it's taking off or coming in for a landing that you can only get if you're in a direct line with the runway that they're using, you know, because you, as it goes overhead, you can get shots of the belly of the plane as it's coming in with the landing gear extended. If it's one coming in for a landing, well, even if it's taken off, because the landing gear is going to be down for a certain amount of time after it first takes off, you know, before they retract it. Um, and you can get some really cool, especially if you've got a good telephoto lens, you can get some really cool close-ups of 
you know, the decals and stuff like that on the plane, get good views of the paint scheme and stuff like that, which can be a lot of fun uh, if you're into stuff like that, which I am. Um, but it definitely, like I said, it'll definitely be interesting to see if any other or airports around the world decide to follow this airport's lead and offer up these special panels to photographers so that they can more easily take pictures of planes without having to try to shoot through chain link fencing, uh, which if you know anything about photography, shooting through fencing can be a real pain. Um, I've seen a lot of people that have tried to shoot, you know, photograph animals at the zoo and stuff through the, the fencing of their enclosure. And it usually doesn't turn out very well. You either have to be lucky to be tall enough that you can shoot over the fencing or, um, or take a tripod or monopod that allow you to get up tall enough to be get your lens above the fencing so you can get a clean, clear shot. Um, and then, of course, if you're doing that, then you can't gauge how good your composition is. You know, you can't see your composition and framing if your camera is above your head when you're trying to get a photo. But, you know, people, people try that all the time. Uh, especially with selfie sticks and, and things like that at different monuments around the world, they can get annoying. But it'll definitely be, uh, I think it's definitely a cool idea. And uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see if other airports follow suit. That is all I have for you this week on episode 21 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes or anywhere else that you catch this podcast, which now includes Spotify as well. I'm still trying to get on uh, Pandora as well as radio.com, but I haven't heard back from either of those uh, platforms yet. I don't even know for sure if they'll send me a confirmation email if I do get on them, but I keep checking every so often to see if my podcast is showing up on there. And so far, no love, but at least we're on Spotify as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and many others. So I appreciate everybody for listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing, like I mentioned a moment ago. And please also check out the Liam Photography Podcast website at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can also join the free Facebook group, Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. I do require that you answer a question to get accepted into the group. The question is, a simple who is the host of the show, which is myself, Liam. All you have to do is put Liam or Liam Douglas. Either one will work fine and you're in. And I do that to keep down, uh, help eliminate the possibility of bots and spammers and all of that nasty stuff that we don't want to put up with. They're garbage cluttering up our feed. And uh, you are welcome to post your own original photos in the podcast group. Uh, just please do not post photos that are not yours. We ask that you only post photographs that you actually took yourself, don't share or steal other photographers' work. And I will see you next time in episode 22.